We need to value, respect, and honor that behavior of all people. You were standing there accidentally naked and he fell on top of you. She fell on top of you. Her face accidentally landed in your crotch. There's a big difference between coercion and consent. I don't understand how it can quote unquote just happen. We put so much emphasis on this stupid word, virginity. So many people think that having sex is only penis and vagina sex and that that's the only definition of sex. sex. When we say teen pregnancy, I don't want you to just visualize a female. Society doesn't think that same sex sex is sex. They don't think it's sex. Did I say sex enough on that? Okay. <laughs> the bullies in your pocket, the bullies on your desk, the bullies in your house. We have to ask ourselves why are kids killing themselves? Let's just not make assumptions. Hi, thanks for joining us. This is Dr. Betsy and Mandy Johnson. And this is episode five, season one, It's Not Human Sexuality. And today we're going to talk about adolescent behavior. Just sort of to, to warm up to this, there is uh, this concept that we go through called puberty, right? And everybody thinks puberty is a word, but it's really a process. And during this process, right, uh, it tags along with this other thing called adolescence. So in a nutshell, and not to bore you with all the you know other academic details, puberty is biological and adolescence is the psychological, sociological influence of that. Would you agree? I would agree. Okay. And so the other thing we need to understand is that puberty begins earlier for what we refer to as girls and later for boys. And it's a difference of about 24 months. And that's huge when we're talking about psychosocial development with respect to puberty and adolescence. And in that regard, it, it can lead to um, this discordant society because we're not ever on the same page, sometimes not even in the same uh, planet. But anyway, having said that, puberty is biological, adolescence is psychological. What we don't realize is that adolescence actually can go all the way up to the age of 21, and some uh, theorists are saying 25. And a lot of it has to do with frontal lobe development. So when we look at the stages of adolescence with respect to puberty, we have preadolescence. Early adolescence, mid-adolescence, and late adolescence. And we don't step into early adulthood, like I said, until somewhere between the ages of 21 and 25. And really, I would have to say probably more 25. So with puberty, we have the same. We have pre-puberty. We have our, um, early, early on, mid, and late. And they have to go in a certain specific order. Your body has to develop in a certain specific order or we have issues with that. You know, early puberty is not good. Late puberty is not good. And then, of course, what we call discordant puberty, meaning biologically your body is developing out of order. That's not good either. But mostly, and I don't really want to get into that because it can get really involved, but I do want to talk about adolescence because when we get into adolescence, we have to address adolescent behavior. And for the sake of this discussion, I really want to look at early, mid, and late adolescence. How do you feel about that? I think this sounds good. You know, you have a lot of experience in early childhood education, and so adolescence is definitely your thing. So why don't you just give us sort of a brief rundown about early adolescence? So early adolescence kind of is that age range between like 9 and 10 to about 12 before they hit their teenage years. Um, it's kind of that, that early puberty stage when things are pretty still pretty simple, fourth, fifth, sixth grade. 
um, girls might be starting puberty and getting breasts. And they might be developing attraction to other people at this time, but they haven't really entered the, the biggest piece of adolescence or teenage years. Right. And so that leads us into um, early, early adolescence to mid-adolescence, um, often what we refer to as middle school. And I like to think of that as sort of a hormone wasteland, right? And because now we're, you know, this train has left the station and the hormones are starting to take effect and this is going to affect behavior. And in middle school, we have uh, everybody sort of jockeying for position, you know, uh, wanting to be noticed or, or not, or not knowing who they are. It's a real, it's a real free for all. And then we move into high school. And so we make that leap from eighth to ninth, which is huge for these kids, but it happens. And so now what's going on? Well, we're looking at a lot of teen behaviors that could scare people, right? For sure. And one of the teen behaviors, and actually this behavior can happen earlier is masturbation. And you know what? People don't like to think about that. Uh, parents, guardians, grandparents, nobody wants to think about that. They don't even like to say the word. I even have colleagues that say, you still call it masturbation? And I'm like, well, it is It is the technical term. But you can call it whatever you want. You can call it your private time or you Self-pleasure. know, self-pleasuring. You can call it whatever you want. But that's what it is, right? And it is typical. Teenagers do this, Betsy? They do. And it's perfectly okay what is not okay is how we react to it right so i often ask you know parents if you walked into your students or your child's room and you caught them masturbating what would be your response and i'm often met with blank stares and really the appropriate response is to back out of the room and close the door Uh, Because if we give responses like, what are you doing? Don't touch yourself down there. That's just really scarring. And we really don't want to do that because self-exploration in this, in this avenue is really a big portion of adolescent uh, growth and understanding. So we need to recognize that masturbation takes place. I also like to think about there's, there's a lot of parents who consider themselves kind of quote unquote woke and wouldn't react with the kinds of words maybe you said, but would open the door and still have that horribly shocked look on their face, which is going to do basically the same thing for the teenager as the words. Exactly. Because you feel shocked that you're seeing this. And so you have the shocked look on your face and it scares the kid. But in real life, you do it too. (laughs) We would hope so. And that that's an interesting, that's an interesting point, Mandy, because it, when we take polls about, you know, men versus women masturbating, you know, men come in really, those numbers come in really high and the numbers for women come in really low. And so I'm really hoping that most women are just lying about that, you know, and I don't even know why we need to lie about it. But, and that's a, a podcast for another day. But moving along to another teen behavior is sex, right? They have sex. They do. <gasps> I know, I know, right? Who knew? Uh, Because that's where teen pregnancies come from. But we'll get to that in a minute. So let's just talk about sex. I think it's important to understand that our youth are exposed to sexual activity every day. And we don't like to think about that, but it's true. Since they were little. Since they were little. It's on TV. It's in music. It's, uh, you know, in, in magazines. And if it's not 
actually the act of sex. It's implied. Uh, making out in the, in, in the car or lying together on the couch. It's all implied. But what is not implied or talked about is accountability, right? We talk about behavior. We show behavior. But we don't talk about what the fallout is of that behavior. And you know, man, you're, you're in the school system. You know that the fallout is big. It can be emotional. It can be physical. It can be psychological, uh, you know, and we don't talk about that. We say, well, some programs say don't have sex. And of course, that's not what we're about. We say, do you understand what it is? And are you ready for the consequences? And are you ready for all of the things that come with it? Exactly. So when we're but we don't talk openly about sex, sexual behavior with our kids. And here is the kicker. The other thing we don't talk about is same-sex behavior, right? And even when you start looking at, at data points and you look at statistics and we talk about the percent population of kids ages 15 to 19 that are having sex, those really are only about heterosexual sex numbers. And the unfortunate thing about that is, is because society doesn't think that same-sex Sex is sex. They don't think it's sex. Did I say sex enough on that? Okay. <laughs> so we have to understand that sexual behavior is sexual behavior, regardless of who you're having it with. And the reason we need to acknowledge that is because we need to value, respect, and honor that behavior of all people. So many people think that having sex is only penis and vagina sex, and that that's the only definition of Sex. sex, right, which leads to another avenue, right? So what we did with this abstinence only, you know, push is that we didn't take away the curiosity of sex from our youth. We just put it in a closet, right? And what that turned out to be was the definition of virgin. So we had vaginal virgin, we had anal virgin, and we had oral virgin. And I got to tell you, that blew my mind that we actually had to categorize your sexuality based on the type of virgin you were because we put so much emphasis on this stupid word virginity. Now think about that. That's pretty strange. So while kids were not having penis and vagina sex, they were definitely having oral sex and anal sex, but they felt okay about that because they were still a vaginal virgin. They like to call that abstinence. Yes, they said they're not sexually active. So for the sake of definition, what you need to understand is that's being sexually active. Kissing is a sexual activity. In fact, kissing is one of the most intimate sexual activities there is. In fact, some people might think that kissing is the gateway sexual activity. <gasps> so what is what happens if we shame sexual activity? Well, we have a lot of fallout. We have emotional fallout, but we can have the transmission of... Uh, sexually transmitted infections because kids don't go in prepared, right? Dental dams, condoms. Um, and then we can have pregnancy if we're having penis and vagina sex because, again, kids don't go in prepared because they don't want to have to think that they were actually thinking in advance about having sex and it just magically happened. And that makes them feel better about themselves, but then they catch a disease or get pregnant. It's actually my favorite when kids tell me that it just happened. Right. Because I just have never understood that. You were standing there accidentally naked and he fell on top of you. She fell on top of you. Her face accidentally landed in your crotch. 
I don't understand how it can, quote unquote, just happen. There's thought. You know what's going to happen when your clothes are coming off. At some point, you've got to think ahead about some of those other consequences. Right. And so if we talked about sex and we talked about the you know progression of sex and we allowed kids to have information, then they could probably plan and pick their own adventure. Because what follows out of that is the accountability piece, right? Because we want consent to be a big piece of this equation. Consent is talked about a lot now, and we really need it to be part of the equation. And I think it's interesting that people don't understand what consent is. So for me, when I explain consent, consent is between you and your brain. Consent is not dial a friend or ask a question on Facebook or send out a tweet. Consent is you having this board meeting with your brain that says, hey, this is potentially what's going to happen. Not sure where this is going to go, but do I want to maybe open this door? And the answer is either yes or no. If the answer is yes, you've picked your adventure. Now you need to decide what could be the possible outcome of that adventure. If you can live with the consequences, then knock yourself out. If you can't, then pick a different adventure. And that's consent. There's a big difference between coercion and consent. And what we have to always understand that yes is not always yes, but no is always No. Yes is not convince me or chase me around until I give in or beg or plead. Yes is, yeah. Do you want to go out to dinner? Yes, I do. I'm ready to do that. I want to eat dinner. I'm going to have dinner. Right. I want a cup of tea. I want a cup of tea. You've seen this tea thing on on the internet, right? And it's, it, it truly is that simple, but sometimes it's really not that easy to do. And so we need to be clear about consent. And if we're going to talk about consent, we have to talk about why we're talking about consent, which is attached to sex. So here we are again, full circle. We need to talk about sex because we need to talk about consent, not the other way around. One of the fallouts that we see is teen pregnancy, right? Absolutely. And that is because we don't talk about sex. We don't talk about contraception. We don't talk about STIs. But one of the interesting things that I found about teen pregnancy is that when we talk about teen pregnancy, we only talk about teen moms. That is true. Teen fathers are hardly ever discussed in this. They're often invisible. And there's probably two reasons for that. One reason is, is that a lot of the teen pregnancy, the teen women, the teen girls that are pregnant did not get pregnant by a teenager. They typically got pregnant by somebody who's 19, that's not 19, they're older than 19. And the other piece of that is, is that if the pregnancy did happen with another teenager, they're taken out of the picture because the, supposedly the pregnant teen has all of the responsibility. She's going to carry the pregnancy. She's going to birth the pregnancy. And then the decision of whether or not to relinquish the pregnancy often is left up to her. And I think this is unfortunate because by making young teen men invisible, then we can't really ask for their accountability. Would you agree with that? I would agree. So how can we make teen men, boys, not invisible? We just need to include them. In the conversation. In the conversation, in the process. If we continually talk about teen fathers being invisible, they will continue to be invisible. And until we start saying, no, they're part of this, they are half of this equation, 
and pull them into the conversation, into the process, they're never going to be there. As long as we keep saying they're not there, they're going to not be there. They're not going to be there. And years and years and years ago, the movie Juno came out and everybody applauded it because she didn't terminate her pregnancy. But there are a lot of layers there in that movie that were hard for me to to deal with. And one of them was her pushing or isolating the teen father away. He didn't make a big fuss about it. You know, she, she pushed a couple of times and he backed off. And he could have maybe made a, a bigger stink about wanting to be involved. And it really hurt his feelings, according to the movie. But she did push him away. And I think that this is considered a sociological norm. And that movie just reinforced that. And I was really disappointed in that. Now, it kind of redeemed itself at the end because he definitely was part of the equation. And she did end up relinquishing. They did They did end up relinquishing the, the pregnancy. But... It wasn't until the end that this came full circle. And I think it's important for us to know that when we say teen pregnancy, I don't want you to just visualize a female. The other thing we need to understand about teen pregnancy is that people are going to automatically assume that this teen is heterosexual. Well, there are a lot of teens that want to test the water to say, you know, am I, am I lesbian? Am I? Uh, And so they have sex to see if they like it and maybe they don't. And that's okay, right? But what's critical here is that sometimes they hear in class, lesbians can't get pregnant. That's one of my favorite myths to dispel. Exactly. And I think what the teacher was trying to say was lesbian sex doesn't result in pregnancy. But kids are literal. And so if she's sitting in class and the teacher says, Lesbians can't get pregnant. She's thinking, well, that's totally cool because I'm a lesbian. How lucky am I? Yeah, but I really want to see for sure if I'm a lesbian. So I'm going to have penis and vagina sex and I'm not going to use a condom or any other type of birth control because lesbians can't get pregnant. And so I got pregnant. And yeah. And so then what happens is people assume that they're heterosexual and that's just not the case. And I think we need to be aware of that. We can't always treat teens as you know a certain sexual identity and this is true for boys young men who don't identify as heterosexual or straight having sex with women to see hey I want to fit in you know I want that locker room environment so you know and then realize ah this is not my gig but then their partner gets pregnant so it cuts both ways I think it's fair to say that we shouldn't assume anybody's identity regarding anything, whether that's their race, their sexual identity, their sexual orientation, their family status, assuming things about other people is, you know, like they say, making an ass out of you and me. And, and this is again, reinforced from the previous uh, episode. And then as you can see, it tumbles out into all aspects of this. And Mandy, you make a great point. Let's just not make assumptions. Then that leads us to the final category, which is a difficult one to talk about, and that's teen suicide. We see it a lot. Uh, And in fact, one is too many. And we have to ask ourselves, why are kids killing themselves? Well, there's a lot of reasons, I imagine. But uh, one of the highest reasons is sexual minority, feeling isolated in that way. Um, Being bullied. Being bullied, for sure. Yeah. Or even identifying as transgender. And being bullied about that. Um, I think that feeling of isolation is so powerful for our youth 
mostly because in today's society, we're never isolated. There's no way, right? In my day, if you were bullied, you could run home to your house and shut your door and the noise would disappear. But for kids today, there's no way. They don't get to shut the door because we have that social media and for them to stay off their phone or to get off the internet is not an option. And so when we have this cyberbullying taking place, there's no place to hide. There's no place to hide. The bullies in your pocket. The bullies in your pocket, the bullies on your desk, the bullies in your house. And there's no reprieve, there's no place to hide and there's no one to talk to. And then it goes viral. And so we have to understand that this is what's going on and it's important for us to stay connected to our youth and to make them feel comfortable enough that they can talk about, are they being bullied? And then we hear those horrible stories where we do have kids who come forward and say, life is not good at school. And guardians step in and say, hey, my kid is saying life is not good at school and the school doesn't do anything. And then that's a problem. So Awareness is key, and I'm not exactly sure how we solve this, but I think it's important to recognize that it is unfortunate that we have kids that are feeling so dark at the age of 12, 10, that they kill themselves. And, you know, in, in, in getting to this point in our, in our series, it, it does bring us full circle. I mean, everything that we have talked about is one of the things that we don't talk about is all the things we talked about, right? And that's assigned gender and gender identity and sexual identity and sexual behavior and uh, marginalized kids. And um, and not- when we don't talk about all the things that they're going through, they feel isolated and it leads to this problem of, of suicide ideation and suicide attempts and self-harm and teenagers dying every day. Thank you for listening to It's Not Human Sexuality. Stay with us for this season's final episode. If the world was according to you and me, and we got, we got <laughs> to do, yay, and we got to have input about what we would teach K through twelve, what would you what would you teach? We should be teaching them about puberty before the first girl gets boobs at school. Yeah. Why does anybody come forward? Why do kids kill themselves? Why do kids bully each other? Or if a girl gets her period in fifth grade. She understands what's going on and doesn't have to go to her mom and said, I think my wink wink is bleeding. Why do we have unintended pregnancies? I mean, the list goes on and on. And and the name for it and can explain and understand what's happening to her body before it happens. For some reason, we get below the belt and everybody snickers and giggles or gasps. We teach about puberty after the fact. People need to understand that just because somebody isn't watching doesn't mean consent is not necessary. It's not only the accountability piece, it's the integrity piece. And I think that's really wonderful that you're teaching that in your classroom. That's what's up next on episode six of It's Not Human Sexuality. This podcast was mixed, mastered, and edited by me, Hannah Copeland. For more information and episodes, go to lkbthwis.org.